Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. And we're back. We didn't go anywhere. Well, we're, that's true. We're here. It's true. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't really go anywhere. We're here, but we kind of shifted, right? Totally. We totally uh, shifted. Yeah, we kind of shifted. So. This is a brand new podcast for you and I, although we've been talking about doing this for a long time, right? Ooh, I think almost a year now, really. Yeah. Ever since we both started talking about open pedagogy and open education. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think we've uh, been talking about this, yeah, for probably about a year. And um, gosh, it's uh, it's good to finally get it started. Yes, it is. I mean, it's for us, we both have become so passionate about it. I mean, a year ago, I don't know if we would have been ready for it because we're just little babes in the world of OER and OEP. And here we are a year (laughs) later and we're still, I mean, it's it's such a relatively new field that a year is a lot when it comes to it. I think I'm still wearing my water wings. (laughs) You're you're the more, you're the more advanced swimmer in this pool. I can just picture you with water wings and it's disturbing. Yeah, it's well. There you go. That's what ice cream's for. You can get rid of all that with just with a big bowl of ice cream. Perfect. Nice. All right. So you use some acronyms, OER and OEP. Uh, but before we get into that, what's uh, the name of this podcast is obviously Praxis Pedagogy. And Praxis, for all of you listening, is a Latin term for practice. So because you and I, Chad, are tradespeople, we are heavily practice mindset so we we have a a perspective on taking what we know in theory and putting it into practice is that correct yes that is great i would totally back that up 100 (laughs) percent. well it's good i was hoping you'd say yes you said no we were in trouble (laughs) yeah no i disagree with everything you just said (laughs) okay this podcast is over we're gonna shut it down now and uh (laughs) thanks for dropping by Thanks for episode one, season one, we're done. That's right. It's right. It's kind of like uh, that Carlin's uh, world history thing where it's like, instead of four hours, we'll give you three minutes. <laughs> totally. And you'll have to wait four months for the next one. Hardcore pedagogy. That's right. <laughs> Full contact, hardcore pedagogy. <laughs> put on put on your body armor because we're coming at you. No, it's not like that at all, is it? Uh, so t- tell us, tell us, Chad, what this is all about. We're going to be talking about open educational resources and open educational pedagogy, which is the practice of teaching. And it's an area that, like we just mentioned, that over the past year, I've been working on, well, past year and a half now for myself, I've been working on my Master's of Arts in Learning and Technology and was introduced to the idea of OER, or Open Educational Resources, and OEP, and started kind of implementing it within my own practice. And you and I have been working together on a lot of things throughout the years and this is something that we found that we both resonated with and so we both kind of jumped in both feet I jumped in cannonballing and you jumped in with the toe tip and then (laughs) I think I pushed you in after that and we've uh we've done and seen quite a bit over the past year so I think what we're trying to do with this podcast is open up people's eyes to some of the practices that are being done in open education And I think what we're both specifically really excited about is bringing on other people who are out there doing it and are practitioners of OEP. So maybe you want to speak a little more to that, Tim. Yeah. So uh, 
you're right in the sense that I mean you were the first one to dive into the pool and and I kind of got wet and dipped my toe in and then kind of went to the the ladder steps and slowly worked my way into it um, and kind of realized like you that I had been pseudo practicing this kind of idea in my in my educational practice for a long time in fact I think both of you and I would agree that as apprenticeship as tradespeople uh, we kind of do OER a bit, it's a bit of a hybrid, but we kind of have been doing OER for a long time in the sense that we have been trained by lots of different people and we've taken that information and revised it and reused it mm-hmm. and redistributed it. So, um, in, in a lot of ways, apprenticeship trades is, is kind of like OER in the educational field. So we both kind of found that we were doing that. We were doing it already. We just didn't know what it was called. And so bringing in, uh, different pieces of our trades background into the OER, OEP world is really a, a new frontier. And, and I call it hashtag OER revolution because in the trades world, there's really not a lot of OER being looked at and done outside of, you know, one or two people who are doing it. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, this podcast is is all about um, opening up that door and not just looking at a uh, OER and OEP from a trades perspective, although that's kind of the perspective we bring, that's not the only place we're going to be looking at. We're going to be inviting different people from different walks, different backgrounds Mm -hmm. of life in the Mm -hmm. educational field now, because in the other podcast, we were looking at specifically people in the trades field, whether they were in trades education or just out in the world doing trades work. This podcast is more focused on the educational world and how do we practice OEP, bit of a double statement there but how do we <laughs> practice well in, in, in essence how do we practice open yeah what is, yeah. What does open mean uh how is open applied um and and what are the implications applications um of being in the open so to speak so that that kind of encapsulate encapsulates uh, a lot of what we're talking about and i'm sure there's going to be some surprises as we go along the way and we've already the good news is we've already invited uh, a a small handful of people and they've all been a resounding yes we want to come on board Mm -hmm. and so not going to give any names right now but um they are on board and and we'll be sitting down with them and talking about open educational resources practice pedagogy we'll be talking about critical open pedagogy uh and and critical uh open educational practice mm-hmm. and what does it mean to look at this with a critical lens uh not to and critical not meaning that we necessarily want to deconstruct it for the purpose of destroying it but we want to deconstruct it for the purpose of making sure that it we're doing it the way that uh in a way that it fits with our ethical framework and background mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great so that that's that's kind of my perspective on it awesome well before before we even get started, I guess we probably should. And I know right now we're probably preaching to the choir because we'll have the people who are listening to this probably are interested in open. But for those who aren't, it might be in our best interest to kind of define what we mean by open pedagogy. Would you agree? Sure. No, for sure. Yeah. Go so ahead. The nice thing about open pedagogy is I, I do a talk, talk about this. And one of my slides on it says a quick and easy definition of open pedagogy. The next slide is just a group of people laughing because there's no way that you can define it so easily. Right. So, right. Um, right. I'm going to give a couple definitions that I found extremely helpful. So the first one is from Catherine Cronin. 
and she is unbelievably wise when it comes to open education. Her definition is open educational practices are collaborative practices that include the creation, use, and reuse of OER and pedagogical practices, employing participatory technologies and social networks for interaction, peer learning, knowledge creation and sharing, and the empowerment of learners. And I just find that as a very powerful um, definition for myself. The thing that I really like is the idea of these participatory technologies and having our students participate in their own education to me has been absolutely transformational in my own practice of teaching, bringing them in there and realizing that they have as much to give as I have to me as I have to give to them. So when it comes to teaching, why not have them become part of the process? So I just love that idea. And it's the empowerment of learners. I've got that bolded on my on my slide here with it. It's just such a powerful, powerful um, idea behind it. The next one I have is from Michael Pascavesius. His definition is teaching and learning practices where openness is enacted within all aspects of instructional practice, including the design of learning outcomes, the selecting of teaching resources, and the planning of activities and assessment. OEP engage both faculty and students with the use and creation of OER, draw attention to the potential afforded by open licenses, facilitate open peer review, and support participatory student-directed projects. And that one I love, I've got highlighted on that one, is the student-directed in the sense that we can have our students take some uh, ownership and agency in their own education as well. So those are the two big ones that I have. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, no, that's... Well, the first one you shared was like quite the mouthful. It was like, (laughs) you know, a massive paragraph and somebody will have to rewind and go back and listen to it. Um, I I, I encapsulate all of that in, in kind of a couple things one is a uh learn by doing uh which is i I steal that from the the 4-h program that my kids are a part of because that that's a philosophy that they instill in their organization that these kids learn things by actually getting in and doing them not just by sitting down Mm -hmm. and listening to it but they actually get they learn by doing it so there's this release uh to of the of this of the kids to go and learn their stuff, which I think is fabulous. Um, there's another piece to this where I, I call it lift as we climb. So in essence, as instructors or professors or teachers, whatever we want to call ourselves, as we are getting better in our field of expertise, we're not doing it alone. We're bringing right. others with us. Uh, right. And in some degree, you can you can take this metaphor into an, to a, a point where there's a, there's a climbing team or a climbing crew. And sometimes... Uh, you know, I'll lead or sometimes you'll lead or sometimes we have another person lead. Uh, but the idea is that we all move together up the face of the of the of the mountain that we're mm-hmm. trying to climb. And so there's this idea of lifting as we climb. The other one that um, I like to think about a lot comes from um, the open pedagogy notebook. And uh, we'll we'll put a link to this in the in the mystical show notes. And I promise all those who have transferred over from the other podcast to this one that there will be show notes. <laughs> but um, open pedagogy, uh, namely, is about autonomy and in, in, interdependence, not independence, mm, but like interdependence. That. And I really like that. So there's there's that sense that you are in charge of your own learning per se, and you are in charge of your own pedagogy and your own way of teaching. 
but there's also an interdependence there. Yes. There's a relationship there. And then it goes on to say that there's freedom and responsibility mm -hmm. that comes with that. There's also democracy and participation. And so uh, I think this is that last part is, is where the revolution comes in, in my statement, OER revolution, because so many of us have grown through uh, some kind of class or educational experience where we just sit there and we listen to somebody speak for three hours, four hours, six hours. And that just continues all day, every day for a term or a year. And we're, there's not a lot of interaction with the material. It's very much this person's an expert and they're going to, well, the old, that old adage of sage from the yeah. stage, they just kind of puke out their information and puke out their knowledge. And we sit there in awe and we try to write it all down and remember it for an exam that really doesn't mean much other than to prove that the instructor is smarter mm -hmm. than everybody else. So, <laughs> um, and uh, so there's this democracy and participation piece. And, and I like those, those three things that go into what it means to have mm. open pedagogy. I like that too. I like that idea of interdependence. And the way I always looked at it for myself is when I first started teaching, it's almost like an upside down pyramid where resources were on top and, you know, we taught from the resources. So the instructors stood below the resources. And then of course the students stood below the mm -hmm. instructor. So there was this three tiered approach, right? It was almost like a little funnel. Then right. for myself, right. I had a problem with that. So I, I wanted to kind of flip the the whole paradigm. So I ended up seeing that I'd have like the learners on the bottom, but they were important. So they were at the big part of the pyramid. And then the instructors and the resources came along the side. But now as I've embraced open pedagogy, I see it more as a circle, right? And you have these resources and instructors and learners all spinning together. And sometimes the resources spin the whole circle. Sometimes the instructor spins the circle and sometimes the learners spin the circle. But it's this constant movement. And I think it's just instead of having this, like you were saying, the sage on the stage where we have this banking system of education where we're, we're releasing all this information to our students and they're depositing it. And then they take a test and they regurgitate the information. And like I just told my class the other day, if you do well on a test, the only thing that tells me is that you know how to do well on tests. There's, you don't, it doesn't necessarily mean you get mm -hmm. the information. It just means you can retain long enough so that you can take tests. What I like about open pedagogy and the practices yeah. that are involved in it is it gets them really starting to use what they need to understand and to learn things. And so by using this, by using the skills that we're talking about, instead of just memorizing them, they're gonna they're gonna construct their their learning a whole lot easier, and it's gonna meld to them a lot more. And I saw it last year in my class, and it's gonna start to see it. I know in this year in this class as well, by having these students have projects that they can work on to troubleshoot things, to build things, to build their own textbooks and their own resources and their own assessments. Even you just start seeing them take a lot more ownership, and they just get so excited about it. And so. I've said this in a few talks that I've given on it. I've never seen a class gel as much as I did last year when I fully embraced open pedagogical practices and started really working in groups and working to help solve each other. And just like you said, Tim, the whole lift while we climb, we model that to our students and they do it with each other. Well, it just helps them work so much better as a team. And when they realize that there's just this cohesiveness and this tightness that I saw form to the point where, and I've never seen this happen after six months, when it was the last day, we had students crying because they were going to miss each other so much. And to this day, they were part of a group chat and they're still checking in with each other. And that was all because of this whole 
having to work together. And so I think open pedagogy goes beyond just trying to give information. It, it helps them become better people and trying to contribute to the society that's around them and make this world a better place. So I know it's, it sounds a little airy-fairy and woo-woo there, but I honestly do believe that. And that I think it's such a good thing that we can be doing with these students to give them life skills that go beyond just the information they need to know. There's, that information is out there anyways. You could Google it. But it, in order to know it and to use it is a whole different thing. Yeah, I would totally agree that that the information is readily accessible. I mean, you can you can go anywhere and find the information that you need to find. Um, in fact, one of our one of our friends, Mark uh, Overgaard, mentioned that that one of his students had actually showed him that that uh, I think the I'm not going to direct quote, but the a close quote would be that you know his student said to him one day, you know, I, I just got tired of doing all the questions in the book, so I just went to Goog and and mm-hmm. typed it in, and there are all the answers. And it was at that moment that Mark realized, okay, it's all out there already. What I'm what I'm doing and what I'm providing for them really isn't anything new in the sense that it's 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 mine and I'm sharing it and nobody else has it. No, that information's out there and we can grab it. So it changed his perspective on what he does in the classroom and how they inter- mm-hmm. integrate and, and engage with the content. Right. And so what, what I think of when I hear you talk about the reaction of your students is one, um, they, they embrace it so much because I think in part because they feel that they have a vested interest in the outcome of what they're doing now. It's not just, they're not just sitting there as an yeah. empty bucket and you're yeah. pouring stuff in. Um, the other thing too is, you know, the response at the end, there's connections there. Be- yeah, because you're right, because they worked together. But I wonder if there's a certain feeling that comes up because they're tradespeople, because, and especially being younger and in, in a, in a different generation than you and I. But I wonder if because they've they may have felt like they didn't fit in before because they weren't going to university, maybe they weren't getting the grades that they needed to to get to go to some other kind of post-secondary education. And and maybe they were part of that stream and that funnel that, you know, brought them into the trades and said, this is where a place you, where you can be successful. But they still carried with them those fears and anxieties and experiences that they had from high school because, you know, it's high school. And here they are coming into a class for, and for the first time in their life, they're hearing stuff like, you know what, mm-hmm. uh, an exam doesn't define you. Uh, the, the final percentage mm-hmm. doesn't tell me who you are as a person. Or they hear, you know, you're going to learn stuff here and that's good. But what I really want you to learn is to how to use it, to critically think, to to not just be a good trades yes. person, but to be a good person as well. And, yes. and, to, and, to, and to integrate with your apprentices and, and train them well. And you become a not just a good mm-hmm. journey person, but a great journey person. And I think that resonates so deeply with some of them that it, it they, there's, there's almost no other choice but to respond that way because it it touches them that deeply, which is, you know, in, in a trades context, yeah, it's a bit of a woo woo, but you know what, that, that's, that's the amazing thing about what we do in the classroom. And, you know, let's be fair. You don't always have to use OER to get there, Oh yeah. but it certainly helps a lot because, because there's that, oh, there's that other aspect, which I think you, you should talk about, um, is the idea that, you know, our, our, our students are paying so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. money for these textbooks. 
right? And I and I actually had a, a student of mine come up to me, not last night, but the night before. And she was asking me like, do I really need to buy the textbook? And the textbook is, you know, it's 130 bucks, I think, or 140 bucks. And I said, well, it's, it's probably a good idea, but you know, I, I don't have a replacement for you just yet. And we're working on that, but you know, and then I asked her like, why? And she said, well, because in my country where I come from, the money the exchange rate is so, is so brutal. Uh, and I, I, I just don't mm. have the money to pay for a textbook. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Like this, it just, it just gets you because now you're coming face to face instead of reading it on Twitter or, or hearing about it in an article or even hearing somebody else talk about yeah. it. Now it's in front of your face and you're forced to deal with it. And, and, you know, if you care about your students, you're going to care about that statement. And you just say to yourself, oh man, like, no, I come didn't. on. I, oh, okay. And then you think, you start thinking through your head, well, I'll just buy you the textbook. And then the next thing you start no. thinking, well, I can't do that for 30 students. Cause then I'll yeah. be, I'll be out on the street myself, but, and, and that's not what OER is all about either. It's about exactly. equity and accessibility. Well, it's, and right? it is, it's, so. I, I said this on Twitter the other day. I mean, it's a social justice issue. There's students out there that cannot afford to buy these books. There's some students that won't take courses because they cannot afford to buy the textbooks for the courses, or they'll take the course and they won't buy the textbook and they will yeah. suffer the marks because of that. So it's, it's a humongous issue. And I know yeah. it, it goes across all academia and trades training. We, I mean, our, textbooks are not any cheaper than academics they, they for my class alone it was this year i got rid of all my textbooks the only thing i made them buy was a lab book for 10 bucks and another exercise book for 20 bucks but it's just before that they had to spend 868 dollars so which for these students and they're taking oh, yeah. a full-time course so they're here in my classroom for six hours some of them are working full-time jobs just to be able to take this course and it's not mm -hmm. cheap to take the course. I mean, it's it's subsidized somewhat for the school that I teach in, but it's we're looking at close to ten thousand dollars just for the tuition alone. So if you can, and when I told the class this, yeah. yep. I said this in that tweet. I had a student come up to me and said, "You have no idea how much this means to me that I don't have to spend that extra eight hundred dollars." So it does make a difference. It is a social justice issue. There are resources out there that we can use. I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that I've been able to build a lot of the resources over the past few years, so I can give my students the resources that they need. But it doesn't mean you have to build them. They're out there. You just have to look for them. You have to just Google OER in your discipline and you right. will find textbooks that are out there. And you know what? If you don't, then maybe it's on you to start building something that help out. And so there's grants, there's there's funding out there available to help you compensate your time to build these things for students. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and in the trades, it's tough because, you know, we have thing, extra things called mm -hmm. um, code books, right? And so, you know, it's not just a, the cost of the student resources and, and the curriculum and the guides and, you know, the lab resources and stuff and like that, but then you have code books on top of that. And well, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's really cool that the provincial government and the federal government have gotten together and decided to make uh, the building codes, both nationally and provincially, uh, free That's if you awesome. want them in PDF. So, so mm -hmm. you, before you'd have to purchase it, right? And so as a, as a plumber, you would be purchasing section two of the building code. Well, that alone yeah. was like $180, $190. Yep. Well, now you, you're not spending that. 
And so, and in fact, you can have the whole building code for free in PDF. And if you want to print it, you print it and it's printed under your name. And then there's, there's some licensing restrictions that come along with that. Obviously you can't print it and give it to everybody. But the idea is, is that each individual person in the trades who uses those codes, which is now has them for free. You and I have come up through this system and we had to buy our codes, which is massive for electrical. It changes every three years as well. And it an apprenticeship is four years, right? So you're having to buy the yeah. cookbook twice and they're usually a couple hundred bucks. So, Yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. And, and, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's funny because there, there's a mindset out there that, that people think, well, you know, I, when I went through school, I had to pay all this money for textbooks. And so if I did it, they should have to do it too. And I'm like, really? So you know, if, if you made a bunch of mistakes, you would want people to make the same mistakes because you made those mistakes. And the answer would be no, 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 no. I want them to learn from my mistakes. Okay. So if you want them to learn from your past and you would agree that paying all this money on textbooks was not the best investment you ever made in your life, why would you well, force people to do the that same thing that you did? As well, like, look, the cost of living has increased rapidly. Textbook costs are going through the roof. We don't pay. Like back when I went to university, I'm not. I, yeah. Books do not cost near as much as they do now. So that argument does not hold water. We see wages mm-hmm. haven't gone up with, according to the cost of living. Right. So th- we can't think that way. We have to think. Let's make this a better. It goes back to the whole social justice. Right. We need to make the world a better place. And just because we came from something doesn't mean it needs to keep being that way. Maybe what we came from was wrong. And so maybe we need to make the change now. And I see that happening. And that's one thing I get so excited about when dealing with OER and OEP. We're challenging the traditional system and it's starting to gain motion and starting to get some traction here. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's gaining traction because... I mean, they're all the peripheral uh, fees as well, right? And, you know, we could could talk a bit more about, you know, all those peripheral fees, parking, student fees, you know, and all other stuff. But let's let's not forget that these young women and men are, you know, they're paying rent, they're paying car insurance, they're they're paying for all this other stuff. None of those bills stop coming just because they go to school. And so it's... um, it's a, it's a pressing need. That's for sure. And, uh, so as we're coming up to, uh, kind of the, the, the time limit for our podcast, um, we kind of want to hit on again, the idea that, of that this podcast is not necessarily only about trades, although we bring a pretty heavy trades focus on it, but it's really about the practice of pedagogy in every different form of education. So, uh, these these issues that we talk about aren't systemic only to academic. Yeah, <laughs> pardon me, aren't systemic to only academia. Uh, they are yes. here in the trades world as well. And in some cases, it's hurting the trades more so than it is in academia because in the trades world, I mean, we could spend a whole episode talking about curriculum development and how tough and hard it yes. is to keep that curriculum up to date because. Uh, we just don't have time to do it. Whereas in a lot of the other parts of academia, they don't have to worry mm-hmm. about that because a new mm-hmm. textbook comes out every year, or every two years, every three years, and they don't have to put any money into it. They just force their students to buy it. So there's that whole piece to it too, that we could talk about, but um, let's uh, any, any final words that you would have to say, Chad, as we wrap it up on this first inaugural episode it. of I Praxis do. I want to, I'm going to end with a quote. And I think it's so relevant to, you know, it should almost be our tagline for this podcast. 
It's a quote by Robin DeRosa and Rajiv Jangiani. Sorry. Open pedagogy is a site of praxis and a concept defined by ongoing conversation. And I think that's where the whole idea behind practice ped, the Praxis mm-hmm. Pedagogy podcast is that we want to have this ongoing conversation. And so we have to, we're having ongoing conversation with you and right. I, and we're also bringing others into the conversation as well. And we would love to hear from other people. So definitely make sure you're reaching out to us. Um, you can reach to me at chad at theelectricacademy.com. And that's a good way to get a hold of me. And Tim, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, you can get a hold of me at uh, tim at tscarson.ca. And we'll put all that stuff in the mystical show notes as well. And um, yeah, so please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can do that through iTunes. You can do it through Stitcher. You can do it through Google Play. We are all on We are all on the socials. And so it's all there. And um feel free to to sign up for uh our uh our podcast and who knows later down the road we'll open up the door to other resources and and other things that are going to be pretty cool but uh yeah you don't want to miss out on this because we're going to have some pretty cool guests and we're talking about some very very important stuff and i can see this even creeping into a little k-12 idea all the way up to phd idea so this is uh this is going to be a great opportunity to to kind of open up pandora's pedagogical box so to speak great yeah me well thanks tim all right we will talk to you next week until then peace